If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, then you know we've just wrapped up a sermon series that we called One Another, where over the last few weeks we've talked about what it means for us to love one another. And when we say one another, what we mean are, uh, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, how do you love other people who also follow Jesus? How do you love the people who are in the room, who are a part of the church, who call themselves Christians? That's what we've been talking about. And this morning we start a new series, and what we're going to do is we're actually just going to broaden the circle a little bit. In the month of October, we'll take the circle even wider and talk about how we love the world. But right now for the month of September, we're going to answer this question. How is it that we are to love our neighbor? How is it that you are to love your neighbor? And in order to really get at what we hope to talk about over these next few weeks, we need to take a moment right at the beginning and define a couple of terms. Because the words love and the words neighbor, those could mean quite a few different things. So what is it that we mean when we say that we're going to spend these next few weeks talking about what it means to love our neighbors? Well, when we say the word neighbor, here's what we mean. Uh, Neighbor is someone who is close to you and far from God. A neighbor, in terms of of this sermon series, is going to mean someone who is close to you and far from God. So maybe you'd take a moment and try and think of some of those people, who they are. They could be your actual neighbor, the person that lives next door, or the person that lives down the hall or across the street. Or maybe it's a family member, or maybe it's a friend, it's a coworker or a classmate. But who is the person that is close to you relationally, but far from God. That is who we're talking about when we say neighbor. Now, what does it mean to love your neighbor? What does it mean to love the person who is close to you and far from God? Well, what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is the truth. That as followers of Jesus Christ, the best way that we can show love to the people that are close to us and far from God is to introduce them to the God who loves them. The best way we can love those who are near to us and far from God is to introduce them to the God who loves them. That's what we're going to be talking about. And the moment I say a phrase like that, some of us start thinking, and you're coming up with the church word for what it is we're talking about. When we mention loving our neighbor by introducing them to the God who loves them, there's a church word for that, a big word that we sometimes use in church. And that word is the word evangelism. That's what we're talking about. Showing other people love by introducing them to the God who loves them, that is what we oftentimes in church call Evangelism. And the moment I mention that word, the E word there, evangelism, uh, some of you start to tense up a little bit. Some of you start to cringe because evangelism, it's just, you know, it's, it's not your thing. And, and you've been to the class before and you've tried to evangelize before. And every single time you've tried, it just hasn't gone that well. And so the moment we say we're talking about this topic over the next few weeks, you start to tense up a little bit. But let me be real honest with you right up here in the beginning. As long as you promise not to tell anybody else, I'll tell you a secret. You just keep it between you and me. If you're the kind of person that tenses up when you hear the word evangelism, I have to admit, I am right there with you. Because I've never felt personally that going out there and evangelizing those who do not know Jesus has ever really been my 
strong suit. It's something that makes me nervous. I remember when I was in college uh, over spring break one year, I went with a Christian organization to New Orleans, uh, Louisiana. And over that spring break period, we did a couple of things. One thing I loved that we did happened during the daytime. And that was we ran sort of a, a neighborhood Bible club in one of the projects within the city of New Orleans. And it was great. We'd set everything up. The kids would come out of their buildings. Uh, we would play games. We would sing songs. We'd do a Bible lesson. And we had a blast spending that week with those children. But then at night, we would do something that I didn't like so much. It was uh, our job as a team to go out onto Bourbon Street. And if you don't know what Bourbon Street is in New Orleans, uh, maybe you could do some super careful Googling. Uh, or uh, it's the kind of place where people go to have a good time and let free and do whatever they want. And our job was to go out on Bourbon Street at midnight, one, two in the morning, and try to street witness and evangelize the people who were on Bourbon Street. And I got to tell you, for me... It just didn't go that well. Uh, I didn't really know how to engage people who had spent the entire night partying and drinking and try to tell them about the God who loves them and the Jesus who came to die on the cross for them. Uh, it was difficult for me to do that. And so I'd go out each night and I would, I would stumble around and fail and try and try to hand out some tracts, but it didn't really go that well. The thing that amazed me was that our team would get back together at the end of the evening, and we would talk about all the stories. And I had no stories. I had no stories of, of, of engaging someone and having them come to follow Jesus Christ. But other people on my team did. And I always feel guilty. I always feel guilty every time I hear the evangelist in church tell the story of, of getting on an airplane and sitting down next to the person beside them. And before that plane lands, that person has come to know Jesus Christ. I, I feel a little bit guilty that I'm not more like that, that I can't just go engage a person on the street and talk to them about Jesus in a way that makes them want to follow him. And maybe you're the same way like me. In fact, I think many of us shy away from evangelism for two reasons. And if you've ever felt tension around this topic, you've ever felt like it's not really something that you enjoy doing, my guess is, is that you feel tension around one of two things. One is you're like me. You're saying to yourself, I'm not really wired for this. Like I know some people are. I know they're great at this. But me, I'm not really wired just to sit down on a plane next to someone and, and just like that get into religion and get into spirituality and talk about the Bible and talk about Jesus and tell people they should follow him. Like I'm not, that's not my personality. Maybe you're like me. I think some of us too, the reason we feel tension around evangelism is one, because we're not wired that way, but two, because quite frankly, we're worried about the questions that are going to come if we start talking to other people about Jesus. Like if we bring this up and if we really get into it, that means that people are going to ask us difficult questions that quite frankly, we just don't feel like we have the answer to or know enough to answer. And so we just shy away from the whole thing and we kind of stay away from it so, because it's not who we are and we don't have all the answers. And yet there's this piece of us that knows we're supposed to be engaged. So what do we do with all of that? If it really means loving our neighbor means introducing them to God who loves them, and yet we shy away from this whole thing because it's not our personality and we don't have all the answers, what are we supposed to do? 
Well, in the first century, there was a man named Paul, and he wrote uh, many of the books in the New Testament. And he writes one letter to a church in a city called Colossae. And in that church, and in that letter, he gives some, some words of wisdom, some, some verses uh, for the church then that speak to us today that really help us understand if you're ever someone who has felt tension around this idea of evangelism, if you've ever been nervous, if you've ever been worried to go out there and really share, Paul says a few things here that I think can be incredibly helpful to help us understand what our role is when it comes to introducing those who are close to us but far from God to the God who loves them. And this is what he says in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. We're going to read all the way through 6 today, but I'm going to start with verses 2 through 4. Paul says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how, I ought to speak. Did you catch where Paul is when he's writing this letter? Paul's saying, right now I'm in prison for preaching the gospel. And here's what I want you to do, he says to the Christians. I want you to pray, not to get me out of prison necessarily. I want you to pray for new open doors to share the gospel. And right here in these verses, Paul begins to, to talk about an important distinction that we don't sometimes talk about in the life of the church. Paul begins to draw a line between the role of evangelist and the call to evangelism. He starts to draw a distinction between the role of the evangelist, people who are called to proclaim the gospel, and the call to evangelism. And this is what Paul says. He says some people, some of us, and Paul includes himself in this group, some of us are called by God and uniquely equipped to go through open doors and proclaim the gospel. Some of us, Paul says, have this unique role and this unique gift in the life of the church to go through open doors and proclaim the gospel. And when Paul asks the people for prayer, he doesn't tell the people, pray that each and every one of you will have open doors to go through and clearly proclaim the gospel. Instead, he says, Pray. And while you're praying, pray for the evangelists. Pray for myself. Pray for my companions. Pray for the people who are like me. That God would provide open doors for us to go and preach the gospel. I think sometimes in the church we see the evangelist. We see the Billy Graham. We see the person that is super gifted at going out and doing this. We read about Paul going out into the different towns and cities and preaching the gospel. And we begin to feel guilty because we say to ourselves, man, I should probably be more like that. But what Paul is saying to us, and this is important, is that not everyone has the unique role of walking through open doors to proclaim the gospel. Now, some of you are hearing this and you do. You have this gift. In fact, the idea of going out and proclaiming the gospel is something that you love. You're praying for open doors to do this. And, 
and you love the idea that you would go out and proclaim the gospel and people would ask you questions and you can't get enough of those questions and you love the debate and you love the apologetics and you love talking about all of those things. If that's you, then we as your church, we need to be praying for you. We need to be supporting you in that, that God would open up new doors for you to go and proclaim the gospel. But that's not everyone. So not everyone is the evangelist. Not everyone is going through the open doors. But everyone does have a role in evangelism, Paul is going to tell us. Not everyone's called to be Billy Graham, but all of us are called to evangelize. So what does that look like? Well, Paul tells us in verses 5 and 6. Here's what he writes. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, he tells all of us, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every person. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying not everyone's called to walk through the open door and proclaim the gospel. That's a few. But all of us are called to keep the doors of our life open by living a questionable life. I'll tell you what I mean by that in a moment. But all of us are called to leave the doors of our life open by living a questionable life. Here's what Paul tells us to do. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. In fact, Paul's saying to you and to me, you should have relationships with people who don't know Jesus. There should be people who are close to you and far from God. And if there's not, Paul is saying, you're not making the best use of your time. He says, use wisdom. Make sure that you have greater influence over them than they have over you. But don't waste your time by putting yourself in a bubble and not having relationship with outsiders. There should be, Paul is saying, people who are close to you and far from God. And while you're living life, Paul says, with them, while they're observing you, let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. In fact, Paul's saying you need to be living a life that prompts within them questions about how you are living. That you would live in such a way that you'd be so gracious that your speech would be so flavored with the things of God that people would be naturally curious about your life. And then they'll come to you and ask you questions. And Paul says, you will be ready in that moment to answer them. A questionable life for the Christian is the life that's lived close with outsiders, close with people who do not know the gospel. And it is lived in such a way that those people naturally begin to have questions about why it is you do the things that you do. And maybe you don't feel like you can answer all the big questions about the Bible and faith and all of those things. But you can answer the questions about your life. You can live in such a way that people come and they say, hey, why, why is it that you live that way? Why do you handle your money that way? Why is your family always gone on Sunday mornings, out of the house? And when people ask you questions about your life, you can, in turn, tell them about the God that you serve. And Paul comes to the church and he says, listen, not all of you are called to walk through open doors and proclaim the gospel. There is the role of evangelist in the life of the church. And, 
And I need you to pray for me, Paul says, that I might be able to play my role well. But you all are called to live life in close proximity with people who do not know God, that they may observe your life and then come to you with questions so that you can answer them. In fact, I think Paul would say to you and to me, That you should live a questionable life. That you and I should live a questionable life because we have the answer that is worth giving. Our world is asking so many questions right now, big questions. And people are dealing with a lot. People are looking for reconciliation. People are looking for peace. People are looking for something to to help with their anxiety and their fear and everything else that's going on to bring unity And reconciliation. And you and I that are followers of Jesus Christ know that the answer to all of that is Jesus. And Paul is coming into the midst of this and saying, you and I have a responsibility to live a questionable life because we have an answer worth giving. But what is a questionable life? What does it look like to live the kind of life that causes people to ask questions about God? Living a questionable life is doing things that are in line with the gospel and counter to our culture so that people get curious, so they begin to ask questions. It's about living a life that is in line with the gospel and counter to culture. And the hard part of that is sometimes some of the things that that I would think are questionable really aren't that questionable. The other day I was in line at the post office And when I walked in, I was third in line. And I thought to myself, well, this is great. I'm going to be in and out. I have one package to mail. I'm third in line. And I'll be, this will be very fast. Well, it took about 30 minutes for me to get from third in line to the counter. And once I got to the counter, uh, the label printer that prints the labels, the barcodes that go on the packages, uh, it decided to break right as I walked up to the counter. And it took another 15 minutes or so to fix the printer and then get my package processed. And so it took me 45 minutes to mail one package. And I have to be honest with you. uh, I had to be internally praying the entire 45 minutes that God would help me keep my patience and be kind and be nice throughout that whole experience because part of me was very impatient and hurried. And when I walked away from the counter, I thought to myself, What a great Christian guy that I didn't lose my patience and that I was able to be kind through that entire process. And as I was patting myself on the back, I was ignoring that there were 15 other people in line. Likely, many of them were not Christians and none of them lost their patience either. So while I'm patting myself on the back for being a good Christian, and it's good that I didn't lose my patience, I have not done something necessarily that is questionable. I haven't done something that's going to cause someone to ask me about the way that I'm living so that I can offer the answer of Jesus Christ. I did exactly what everyone else was doing, and I did the right thing to do, but it didn't stand out. I think some of us feel like as long as we live a nice, quiet life and keep a clean home and keep our lawn nice and, 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 and are nice to other people, that we'll be living out the life that God calls us to. And yes, I'm sure God wants us to do all of those things. But hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other people in and around the city of Boston are living the exact same kind of life. So it's not questionable. People expect it. People expect the church to take care of the poor. 
It's not questionable. It's what we should do, but it doesn't cause questions. So what is a questionable life? What does it look like? Well, maybe, maybe it looks like letting it be known that your family prioritizes time at church and, 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 cause, and being so engaged in the life of the church that people begin to ask questions. Why do you spend your time that way? Maybe it looks like living out God's plan for sex and sexuality on your high school campus or your college campus. I guarantee you, if you live that out well, at some point, someone close to you is going to start asking you some questions. And you can say, the reason I live this way is because I believe that there's a God who's created me and loves me and that his plan is best. Maybe it looks like handling your finances in such a way that your financial advisor or your accountant comes back to you and says, why should you be spending, why should you be so generous with your money? Why are you giving so much away to to organizations or to your church or to other people? And you can come back and say, because there's a God who owns it all and I'm in relationship with him and I trust him with my money first. Maybe it looks like doing something like what Joe and Eileen Habilo, who were a part of our church for many years, did over the last couple of years. Many of you met Piwa, the young girl from Swaziland, Africa, who was coming to Boston for multiple surgeries that she needed. And Joe and Eileen Habilo hosted her and her caretaker at their house multiple times. And over those years, their friends and family, neighbors, would ask, why are you doing this? And they could turn and say, because Jesus has asked us to. Where in your life are you living in a way that is in line with the gospel, but counter to culture, so that those who are close to you but far from God begin to ask questions, and you can give Jesus as the answer? If you're watching this morning and you do not yet follow Jesus Christ, let me tell you, that there is no better decision you could make than to put your trust in him, to come before him and to recognize that you have sinned, that you've done things that God told you not to do, haven't done things that God told you to do, ask for his forgiveness and begin to follow him. That is the best decision that you could make. If you've already made that decision, then it is your call to participate in being in relationship with those who are close to you and far from God and living life in such a way that they ask you questions and you can give the real answer through Jesus Christ. So are you living a questionable life? Are you living in such a way where your relationship with Jesus Christ is so evident and transparent that people can't help but be curious and ask questions? And are you ready? Are you prepared to give Jesus as the answer? Not all of us are called to walk through the open door and proclaim the gospel, but all of us are called to leave our doors open by living a questionable life. Live a questionable life because you have the answer that is worth giving.